0: Welcome to the International Buzz Podcast brought to you by WordBee. My name is Tanya Falkner and this is the recording of a recent experts panel where we talked about quality assurance and functional testing in software localization, its challenges and recommended workflows with experts Tex Texin, Daniel Goldschmidt and Jose Palomares. Without further ado, enjoy the discussion. Welcome to this experts panel about software localization, quality assurance and functional testing. This panel is brought to you by WordBee and it's hosted by my colleague Robert Rogge and myself, Tanya Falkland. And in the next hour, we'll dive deep into the processes of localization, quality assurance and software testing, focusing on workflows, methodologies and constraints. And for our listeners, if you have any questions, you can write them in the chat box on the right hand side of your screen. And we'll try to come to them or like answer them towards the end of the panel.
1: Cool, so um, we're super excited to welcome our three panelists today, possibly four panelists. And uh, we'd like to take a moment to let you introduce yourselves.
2: So why don't we start with you, Jose. So I'm Jose Palomares, a senior localization program manager at uh, Coupa Software. And I've been in the localization industry for over like 20 years in different capacities. I started as a translator and ended up doing more technical things, more technical things, became with, um, engineering kind of guy in localization for a while and recently moved to this other capacity at uh, on the more strategic and, and bigger picture kind of things on the buyer side this time after a long time on the vendor side.
0: Awesome.
3: Cool. My name is Tex Texan. I'm a software globalization architect and consultant. I've also been working in the industry for three decades or so I've contributed to a number of the internationalization standards, and I've worked with a number of companies in many different spaces, large e-commerce companies and web publication companies, as well as medical and other industries. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Cool. Thanks.
1: We're, We're really happy to have you on Okay, yeah, you can go, Daniel. Okay,
4: hi, I'm Danny Goldsmith. Even I wrote my short bio, so you'll see. You know. So, I'm a software engineer in my background, and about 20 years ago, a bit less, I joined this domain of internationalization and localization. And I saw 20 years where I'm getting old. I worked at Google as a software engineer and also in Microsoft, and I was also a consultant for many years about consulting many for localization, internationalization, both the client and the vendor side, and doing also some software development in this area. I have a joke about consultants, sorry about uh, tax, you know, consultants, they're doing nothing, but they tell everyone what to do. I'm right now on a disability, so it's even perfect. I'm doing nothing, and I don't need to tell everyone what to do. So this is the reason you see me less today, it's consulting or more speaking. And that's it. Cool. Awesome.
1: All right. Yeah, well, yeah. so between the three of you, we've got, what was it? 70 years of combined experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> That's, pretty That's cool.
1: funny. Uh, <laughs> so we have uh, Maria Fedorova might be joining us from Salesforce, but we're not really sure she's kind of might, might be in, might be out. So okay. let's jump straight in here.
0: Yeah, let's kick it off. So actually we wanted to kick this off with kind of like the elephant in a room. Since we're talking about quality assurance, how do you guys define quality?
4: So it's not my definition. First, I think it's very difficult to define quality. And the definition I'll give is it, the definition that uh, one time in a workshop that I moderate with and Pateljan wrote that is with today's uh, Netflix, I said, quality is actually good enough. I said, what is good enough? Yes, we need to define good enough depending on the product or the service or whatever we, we're releasing. So if it's a pacemaker we know what is good enough the thing that we need to do if it's a user manual of a printer maybe the good enough is a bit less that we cannot really things, you know which are not you know less perfect so i think that by any product or service and even within the product or service with a different feature we need to decide what is good enough this is true by the way not only for localization for you know for all the features for of the product you know we have bugs or things and not every time it's that the quality is perfect or the good enough so we need to decide what is good enough and i think this definition really helps me when I'm thinking that we need to do some work on quality but in the photo localization or just in, in the software decide what is good enough for everything before releasing it to the user or to the market
3: yeah, I would agree with that, Daniel. In a way, it's a form of risk management, because you can always spend more on quality assurance, and the, it's an 80-20 rule or a 90-10 rule, and somewhere along the way, you have to say, well, this is how much I'm willing to spend, and then you take get, well, what is the impact if I have a problem or what kind of problems can I anticipate? Does the product work as expected and does it work in a way that enhances my brand reputation? Um, or is it something that even if it works, it might work in, in some way where actually it causes a problem for my customers or it gives offense to customers in some way and then it comes back and, and hurts me. So or hurts my brand and company so you can always do more so somewhere along the line you're assessing as daniel says says is it good enough and you know around that we need to have some idea of what it is where our criteria are and what we're attempting to measure one is you know functionality does it work as expected one is what kind of errors can we anticipate or environmental uses where it might behave in unexpected ways or data conditions that might cause it to fail in some way so the quality assurance part is trying to identify the risks and how we can you know ascertain whether whether or not we've adequately covered those i agree perfect okay. you know,
4: for you i have a comment but uh, please uh, speak first
2: Okay. So for me, I'm surprised and I'm glad that we don't answer this from the typical like, linguistic point of view of like, you know, about how accurate it is, how it resembles the source and all of that. And I think that we are coming from a more like practical point of view, which I love. I usually just like summarize quality as like, it's really meeting expectations. So what, what Tex and Daniel are like, defining is like basically you know, like how you define expectations before you like tackle a given project. And then it's, a, it's quality is just going to be like meet those expectations. They can be like different from like project to project, organization to organization, typology to typology. So, and basically, meeting, there's like maybe one other thing which is like meeting expectations and enabling every other like function around you to actually be able to do the same thing. So if something is, this is when we talk about like something like broken. So if we go to the typical example, of like the like an engine or some kind of like machine. If one piece, one piece is supposed to like do what it's supposed to do, meeting the expectations. But there's also like a function in relation with like everyone else around. So it's the same thing here. If language is not good enough, it's not going to enable sales to sell it. It's not going to enable Next person in in the value chain to do the job. So hopefully those are easy enough to. I just love it that we're not talking about like language quality. It's yeah. just settings itself.
3: So. Yeah. So one of, one of the difficult parts of that is you know it's we're not as individuals we might have a sense for the criteria and what's good enough or what's right or wrong, but often we're leading organizations and then it, it the challenge is to establish those criteria across your organization so everybody who is making measurements or doing some kind of assurance is looking for the same things because you might have some people who maybe their bar is lower for what is acceptable so they don't report or ignore problems that you might consider issues and then also you can be overwhelmed by people who are reporting things that maybe you consider insignificant or and It becomes very hard to establish a reasonable criteria in order to have an efficient organization around what what you're looking for. I would like to add something. Uh, I agree with, I want to add to what you have
4: on your two comments about the expectation and also about quality in general. I think that when we say good enough in the question of the business, and it's not only linguistic, is it a deal breaker? Yes or not? And what will be the experience of the user? Is it good enough? Now, clearly, in the end, it's related to the business, because in the end, we're part of the business. But a good example can be that if it's an installation part of a very important app on an iPhone, which is buggy, and forget even it's not a uh, language, it end might be deal breaker. But assuming that I have a $20 million agreement with a bank with enterprise software, and there's a bug somewhere, and there's this. There's a IT pro that is freezing in the server room and trying to find a bug, and the localization doesn't work, and he cannot find it. And he open his laptop and work for five hours, and then he find the bug and fix it after googling it. Is it good? Maybe not. Is it good enough? Yes. It's not a deal breaker. So all the time we find what is good enough, and basically forget software localization in life in general. Life is full of bugs, and we like to do things, but Many we're doing what is good enough for us. So I, like... I
3: think, so I just want to add, you know, it's important to have these criteria, but I suspect what our listeners are for is not, you know, the debate over how much is enough or what quality is good enough, but how can we assure that we have quality? How do we detect yeah, really. problems? How do we find them? And so I think maybe we should, take the discussion a bit more in that direction rather than the a little yeah. bit more serial
2: you know, yeah, just, just what we have, what we what we are. Yeah. But just to put it out there, what I consider, you know, it's something that we have said, but some organizations that we might have like work with, they have like what a linguist for instance will consider like garbage. And they're still like functioning. But there might be like so we need to focus like you say on, on like fo- on finding how bad it is as well yeah. of the process. But in many cases, maybe that kind of like garbage is just fine. It's right, uh, right for us.
1: Cool. So, so let's have step to know that you
3: have those issues. Somebody can make the decision that the problems are ignorable. But you need to enable people to surface their problems to have the discussion. If you establish a culture where problems don't get reported because people don't want to hear about them because they think they're not. Unless they're deal breakers,
1: then you're going to have a dysfunctional organization eventually. Wow, that's super interesting. So what should we talk about next then? How to detect, you know, and how to find these problems and solve these errors? Or should we talk about how to establish a, a company culture that promotes uh, quality assurance? Feelers choice. I suspect our audience is
3: interested more in the detection rather than the cultural issue to
1: start with. All right. Yeah. Cool. So let's do that then. So what then are some of the localization, QA, and functional testing workflows that uh, you would recommend? And like when you're setting out, for example, how do you decide how you want to do things to get the good enough that you're looking for?
4: So I'll start. Uh, first, right now I don't have it because I'm um, not in company. But my answer will be actually with questions. I think the, the first question we need to decide in the in the product, what needs to be tested? You know, we have... Can be the product, can be a lot of other materials. So, what need to be test? Should be linguistic testing? Should be cosmetic testing? Should be functional testing? The second question, which I think is very important okay, when it should be test? And this is the main issue that's part of planning. Now, I think that it's okay, we should test before the release. I think we need to test even months before the release. This is a waterfall model. Sometime, actually, we can say, you know, in this process we're doing, let's imagine, it's okay to test actually after the release. And then we'll you know we'll release all the bugs that we'll find and you know with the fix of all those bugs. So the first two questions that I have is what we should test, what should we create, and then when. And then a deeper question, assuming in Agile, if I look for instance for functional testing, oh, there should be parallel track of the development that we have a parallel track of testing all the time next to it, or should be kind of more serial that you are developing, and then we do doing the testing, and then we're developing. Thing. So, where we should put it, especially in Agile. And a question which is related to one of my questions is it okay to release something with bugs for a while or not for a while? And uh, it's again about which process I'm setting. Because I believe we'll discuss it a bit later. Testing is very costly. And we need to understand, you know, we need to do it. But the question, you know, when and for what.
3: I'll see your questions and raise you some questions, Daniel. Go ahead, yeah. <laughs> because I think it's also important to establish who is responsible for yeah. testing. There are some things that can be tested right in the development stage. If we're talking about software development or functional testing uh, becomes important. If you're a translator, there are some things that can be where the translator can be made accountable for certain kinds of errors. They should do their own spell check and grammar check should do a glossary check and there there should be tools to help them with that which I know know, WordBee has quite a bit of tooling that that helps translators with those kinds of checks so who um, is a part of your when question and the types of testing that can be established I Mm -hmm. think accountability is important we have uh, people that In our organizations, who may think that well, I do certain kinds of activities. Somebody else is responsible for certain kinds of checking, and you know they'll report back to me if there are some kinds of errors. So, establishing unit testing and testing right from the get-go, testing that happens before you check in your translation or before you check in your code, um, and tools to assist with that can be important. One of the things that I strongly recommend and this is in many organizations it's not done for quality assurance but to train your qa folks so when i work with organizations and i'm providing training on internationalization i also set out to meet with the qa folks and say well here's what internationalization is here's what localization is here's what you can be looking for because many organizations treat qa as you know what, we'll give you the functional spec, we'll give you the software and given the functional spec, go figure out what to test because we've told you how it should work. But when it comes to internationalization and localization, if you train the QA organization as to what internationalization is, what localization is, you enable them to know what to look for independent of the specification for the functionality and that helps them provide the right kind of testing. And it's also exciting and invigorating for the QA organization because people often don't come to them and say, here's what this is about. Here are some ways you can find problems and write up bugs. And, and since that's their job, they get very excited about the activity and the attention that they're getting. So I think that's an important step. And so when you have uh, also tools in your organization as, as WordBee offers, then guiding the QA folks some of insight into what those tools can do how to write rules for different processes you're actually engaging them and, and really helping them step up where they can do things that in other organizations they might not even consider even when the tools have those capabilities
2: okay so maybe i can add a little bit from after the fact so in reality, you try to do as much as you can when you're like working in internationalization and you try to fix as many things on the source as possible. But then what happens when you actually have like things leaking through and you have issues? I, I'm gonna say that I come from the point of view that like the more we can test, especially when it comes to like software UI, the more we can like do QA, like linguistic QA and definitely testing, but focusing on linguistic QA on interface the happier we're all going to be. There's obviously going to be limitations to that. But I think that a good principle is like, let's do as much as possible. And considering that a lot of like the UX, the, the, the design of applications, as it's going like more and more towards like simplicity, and a lot of the UIs are like getting much more simplified than they used to be before, you know, where we had like the monsters desktop applications with the more buttons and the more tabs and the more menus, the better. So the simpler things get, the more we go like mobile or, or even like mobile first, I think that it's becoming like more important that we focus on, you know, there's like less strings, there's like less UI to care about. I think that we need to move towards an effort to get as much as possible, if not everything, checked. That doesn't mean that you're gonna do it like only one. And then the best is to like align to how the product is being built. And I'm sure there's gonna be more towards like agile, step by step, and component by component as kind of like cycle as opposed to like the whole thing. So if you're taking like simpler UIs, you're taking shorter cycles. It should be easier to like fulfill this dream of like checking every single string that you're gonna put in front of the user. On how to how to so that is where I come from. That's my dream, right? So we do that every time. So the easiest or the sweetest spot that I try to chase in every capacity we can is to like provide context. So having been able to do like any work in context, whether it is like the staging and just showing it to like the, the QA's and and or linguists, show it a life so that they can make comments on the actual product before you release it, or even if we're talking about like screenshots, which is like less prefer, or ideally, in terms of like a more of a real time in life preview, the more you get in that, the issue is gonna is gonna come. I'm hoping that that is where we walk towards as an industry, who like having more of that, and then it's not that relevant if you do it like closer to like development, or you do it like three steps later. Because you probably are gonna get it done quickly with a smaller scope and on the first attempt, which I think there is also like a huge high A lot of like these iterations testing usually take weeks. In some cases for some products it takes months. If we can do like in context, we should be able to like lower that definitely to to, to weeks or most sprint or most iterations.
4: I have your remarks to what you said, just what you said to you and what you said text. First of all, the context. Yes. In my previous life, I was, uh, I founded a company together with Hank Boxfine, the name it Triggy really Technology, and the idea that give context, you know, for web based application. So, you know, the online booking system, whatever. And the idea was really simple just give an online context, machine context to the translator, and to the reviewer. Now, the reason that we did pretty good money, and Hank, by the way, I, I left it because of other reason, Hank is still uh, doing it. Because we show the cost of the testing in case that you don't have context. And what will be the cost of testing if you have the context of the translation? And this, you know, can shrink really the cost. You can really reduce the cost because context is so important, to understand? And it's so good that in German, you know, for the word display that I cannot pronounce it, you have, I think, uh, 17 translations. What is display? Or I'm exaggerating, but, you know, the context is so important. So for that, I really agree with you about this. Have few comments about what text you said, I'm putting on the screen on you. So I completely agree you know, you know, who is charged of testing and something in general, I'm in favor of testing. You know, when I started the question, what is, you know, well, good enough, I think testing is really important. And I think that unit testing is very, very important. And I want you to do unit testing actually also for the localization. The idea of the unit testing, the developer, every time he's committing the code, checking in, he knows that what he did won't break the thing, you know, he tests it. He put testing that can then run all the time. We need to do the same thing, the ver- verification test testing in every phase of the localization procession, from generating the content, the string in English, or whatever, is in, and if this fits first, you know, uh, language-wise, linguistic, but also the UI, and break the code, and then with all the stages, we need to check and verify everything. This is something very important that you need to testing for the thing. And if you think about it, if like unit testing, it's easy. It doesn't cost a lot. We're not checking, you know, 100,000 millions of lines. No, it's, you know, a few lines of code or, you know, one file or few strings. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I believe we'll discuss it later. We need to also do a kind of a comprehensive testing of everything when the product is ready. But, you know, we need actually every stage we need because if... I'm a vendor, and I, if I'm the client, and I'm giving to the vendor content which is—I won't use this word—that you know, which is awful. Well, what I'll get will be awful because this is what I asked to translate. So, there's many things that we can do that cost not—that almost free—that actually can improve the quality. This is the verification test we need to do. So, this is what you said there, the other text about uh, the unit test dependency. So. Okay.
2: so if I can add to that one, so so the concept of unit testing probably is not like familiar is not uh, common in the industry as much unless you're like very close to like development. But I like how you compare it to like or how do you relate it to localization. I wanted to in case someone out there is still not doing their or thinking that this is not important, like to me like the unit testing for localization is making sure that you're like using like some sort of like T M system so that any piece that you produce matches with what you have done before. And beyond any checks that you make sure that it's mm-hmm. accurate, it's working, it's not broken. A unit test will be, like, making sure that it's consistent with what you have done before. And, but you know, if someone is not using such a system in their product, probably they should, like, go and look into it, like, right today, because you're probably, like, killing yourself, wasting a lot of, like, someone else's money. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing it, I also wonder, like, to me, it's very key that... When you're in doing that and leveraging in EMs and things like that, you're thinking into, concern, into consideration again context from whatever you can get it. If you can like tag your your product and give some like metadata to identify where something is coming from, either a flag in a, in a file or a descriptive key-value name, anything like that, then that's gonna make so much easier this whole process of like unit testing localization. I'm committing a new piece. And I know exactly where it fits and it can be verified that it's working where it belongs. So if you don't have any of like the fancy life pieces, or if you're like dealing with like for instance text that never shows on screen, that's still gonna get you to, to add a lot of a lot of value to the process.
3: Yeah, so I agree, especially on the translation and localization side, there are a number of things that you can have which at the unit level whether it's the word-by-word translation, doing syntax checks, glossary lookups, translation memory lookups, as well as uh, there's a number of checks that Wordbee builds into their system that helps translators that look for punctuation being repeated, words being repeated. The example they give in their documentation is where you write, hello, world, world. It catches those things. And, And these are helpful checks that help at the unit level and at the same time they have some capabilities for doing visualization of web pages so you can see in context so it's it's important to have those tools available and they greatly help accuracy but at the same time we, we shouldn't be naive what you said is is true jose the user interfaces have gotten simpler which has been a, a boon but mm-hmm. Behind the scenes we have much more complexity because today the content I work with often is coming from a number of different sources. It's not just a a UI and a little bit of catalog data. We have uh, feeds coming from different databases and different sources and having checks at the unit level is, is a great thing, seeing the visualization is a great help but when you have this complex set of sources contributing to the page we also need to have some capability to be diagnostic about where is this string coming from where is this this text content coming from because you can have situations where maybe a translator sees a problem in the context to correct it but that unit is then used in multiple places and maybe is wrong for the other places where it's being used. So we shouldn't oversimplify the the situation because I, I know there are many people in the audience who are, who are dealing with this kind of complexity and, and for them designing quality assurance systems is not only being able to detect problems and giving content creators the ability to avoid problems but also when there are problems to have some diagnostics that help them look for problems that maybe are systematic how the systems being integrated rather than at the unit level or simply you know fitting to context
4: so but, but, it, but i have an answer for you text about this and i'm simplifying it again I think that, you know, first I want to say the what we did in Wiki. it's actually on a live website, well, it's the staging. So all the time the content is coming, this is what you see. But it's also, if you talking about, you know, application or web services with account mashable, you know, the content is coming from everywhere. So first from software development, you need to be sure that whatever application you have can deal with various content. And I'll give an example of Facebook in a moment. And the other, in the QA testing, this is what we check, been you know, to see various type of content, you know, in different languages or whatever it is that actually we can display. I'll give an example of Facebook. Facebook is doing it today very well, but you know, I think uh, eight years ago, nine years ago, if you had, let's say, text in Hebrew or in Arabic, in the UI, the English UI or the French UI, it was a complete disaster because the all right-left was completely, couldn't handle the thing now it's actually that every post or every content they know how to deal with that enter it correctly so i think this is something yes we can test actually simplify the test and test that what we're doing can deal with such languages such cultures but sorry maybe there's other question you want to ask us uh, tanya and robert uh, we'll just continue <laughs> to discuss here until uh, tomorrow Okay, good. No, good. <laughs> I just, well, I think you're going to say something, Jose. Maybe you, you already answer half of
1: it. So pretty good. Half <laughs> of the question.
2: Did you want to say something, Jose, or or did you go go by it? Or I've been like uh, going to text for answers for many years now, and and I was going to ask like, can you give us like some example of like of that kind of like combination of like different feeds or feeds or components within an application. Can you give us like any any example of bats that uh, things have gone wrong, being very difficult to address after the fact when people were trying to like interconnect like different units or feeds or content.
3: Let me see. I have to think about you know a particular example, but you can imagine situations where you have feeds, you might have catalog data being displayed and alongside you you're showing ads for different products and maybe one example is you don't want to be showing competitors when you're posting some products because your your suppliers may not like that so you know th- today we have systems that are also you know aware of who the users are and what the user's context is where they where they live what their shopping history is and so as you get more personalization, that can be a good thing, but it also can be upsetting to customers when you show them the wrong. So that may give you some ideas without without getting too specific. Okay. Um, we, not only you are going to have conflicts and, and also associations that you, you don't want to make between two different feeds being shown simultaneously.
4: Yeah, but Tex, I think that you're taking the discussion more than the linguistics and language, I think. This is in general software, so, you know, what we should do. And I think if we're going back to the language, assuming that the application is good enough in the source language, assuming, you know, what you tell about personalization and ads and etc. Now, the question is for language, can we also check it all for different cultures? Language, language is a different thing because it can be in English, but English of UK, you know, country UK might be different. You know, different.
3: Sure. So I had a product that I was working with where some of the content was about produce, like fruits, and some of the information was about color coding, right? And so we would have something like the word orange, which maybe should have been localized to color, but it was localized to the fruit orange, which is same
1: yes. word, but. Do you mean other- uh, origin?
4: Sorry. It's, it's, it's,
3: it's a little joke. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm right. well,
4: <laughs> exactly. yeah. getting started on politics. So, purple or whatever.
3: Yeah, so, and especially where you can, where we sometimes just reference a single word so there is limited context in the location where it's being used, but you need the surrounding context. And yet it can be confusing when the source, you know, you've got some something coming from resource files, some information coming from catalogs, some of it is coming from management systems and so forth.
1: Hey, as you know, we like to keep things mostly non-commercial around here. And we like to just stick to interviewing the guests about fascinating subjects. But we would like to take a moment to mention a little bit about WordBee Translator. WordBee Translator is the translation management system developed by WordBee over the last 10 years so we are celebrating 10 years now. It's all in one system, so you can manage projects. It also has linguistic tools. It has tools for finance, business analytics, and it's been around for 10 years, so it does pretty much anything you want. Before working for WordBee, I also used WordBee Translator. One of my favorite things about it was actually the invoicing because it made it really easy to manage supplier invoices, create them, and just not have to deal too much with the financial side of things. But other customers appreciate other things like for example it's a native cloud technology so it's really collaborative you know you can keep track of what's going on in there at uh, any any moment in your project it's easy to set up different job assignment methods you know you can check your stats at any time you can see how your project managers are performing you can see how your translators are doing and yeah it does pretty much everything you want it ends up fitting your organization like a glove as we say So that was just a word about Wurby Translator. Now, without further ado, back to the podcast. So like, so far we've mentioned, uh, we've we've got a lot of stuff on the list here. We've talked about unit testing, accountability, training QA teams on localization and uh, internationalization, testing the interfaces as much as possible. We've got a whole bunch of stuff. So like, what's the biggest impediment or challenge that companies have to actually doing that stuff? Like, why aren't they doing it if, if it's so obvious? So
2: can we be very, very in the face with this or in the nose? So, I think I think the lack of money is to mm-hmm. actually pay for it. It's uh, it's up there. So there's organizations who simply cannot afford it. You don't have enough resources and then you need to like figure out another way. I think I think that maybe next is lack of like qualified people. So people who understand this process, who can like build this process, and even people who can like test. Even, even if you're looking at the linguistic side of things, not every translator out there is gonna make a good tester. So some people are amazing. You can build like a team that you can reuse across years and even organizations when you move, you can like take them with you and, and trust them. Uh, they're like quite an asset, but it's not easy. It's not, it's not, not everyone is like cut for it. Not everyone does a good job and you might not have the time to train. And I think that the, So I thought about this before. I think that the other one is definitely for me, again, lack of context, lack of, lack of context when it comes to like language testing, it kills you.
3: I will add to that. I, I think uh, there's a lack of uh, appreciation for consequences and the need for firm Project management. So, I think one of the things that is difficult, especially as we moved into an agile world where there's an idea that it's okay to make last minute changes, having an appreciation for the consequences of those changes and what it costs to create QA plans and to do due diligence around changes. I sometimes see organizations where the ideas might be Worthy, but when they come late in the cycle, it's simply expecting the QA team to react to what can be significant last changes, maybe not so significant from a UI perspective, but from a testing perspective, or given the complexity of systems that are integrating multiple sources. I think that can cause problems. There there was there needs to be an appreciation, and and you know again coming back to QA being risk management, understanding what it what it means to make uh, those last minute changes and and what it does to increasing the risk to a project is is an important aspect, and and that often causes problems during during the end game of projects. Sometimes it's it's the right thing to do because that's why you are in an agile environment. You're getting feedback from your users and from their experience and it's you're making significant improvements but it doesn't mean that you can hold your original schedule if the change is significant to what it means for testing and evaluation of the quality of the product
4: i have uh i want to add to what the do what you said I want to play second context. I think for the testing context is so important. Um, another uh, biggest pain point I think is this: is budget. It's well, we said budget, but also ignorance. You know, actually, ah, this is localization testing. What? Ignorance, and this is something that I saw in small company and even in some big company. And I think that in general, you know, localization we need to understand it's part of the, locali- the production chain of the product. It's a production chain. The same is the testing. And this is something that we need, it's a mindset that we need to have, all of us and also you know, the whole company who are part of the production chain. And this will solve, I think, in the, end, the budget, we'll know what is the budget, where they will decide what to do. We'll solve the ignorance things. And we'll solve something else, which is extremely problematic is planning or misplanning. Because functional testing will take at least the same time that the regular functional testing will do for a certain language. So if you have one now to do the testing and the testing will take, let's say, four weeks and you have five languages, it will take time. So the planning is really important to decide what to do and what not to do.
2: I would like to make a comment about like the whole thing about agile, at least in what I usually encounter, what I've encountered with working with different organizations is uh, that agile is often like mistaken with like fast and furious and things like incorporating those like, last-minute changes, that's actually against the, your, your good practices for Agile. So in Agile, you're supposed to like, lock the scope, and, you know, and, and live with it. And if you don't like it, then you can try to make adjustments, but you cannot be just like, throwing last-minute changes. And I keep hearing that, and it does roll into localization oftentimes. So they break their good Agile practices, bring something next minute and they may get it done but if you happen just in, in a step plus one so right after that which is what localization is probably going to do then you are the one that doesn't that slows down the build or the release or whatever it is so i, I wish that people were more agile uh, but like properly agile if that's a game that they're playing
4: uh-huh. I so, the idea of so, this coping you know if something cannot be done in this sprint, we scope it without the thing. So the same with the localization. If we cannot do it right now, okay, it's out of the thing.
3: Yeah, so we, one of the things that is overlooked with insurance is to do in-country testing. And so many companies will have linguistic review and use in-country reviewers but it's usually specific to reviewing the language as opposed to overall testing of the product. Um, And it's important to that that last mile testing. Many companies, they'll do a beta test and it'll be mostly in their domestic market and not extend it to have an an international beta test or they'll do very little at the end. So being able to do some kind of A-B testing in market or you know what i call friends and family testing where you have a community of maybe friends and family of employees where they can be trusted to use product and report on results mm-hmm. some early feedback that will assure that you know that your product is working culturally correctly and in context in connection with you're delivering your product over wide area networks and you get the the performance and and maybe some cost of using packets and and internet and some of those technical details that really show up in your product can, can change maybe the behavior as the user sees it or reveal intermediate steps because the product is functionally functioning much more slowly. People are seeing intermediate stages of display that look like corruption to users. So, An important part of quality assurance, uh, especially for the localization field, is actually to get some sampling early in the market, early in the product release stages, and get that kind of feedback, which for many companies, they don't think to do it or they don't think it's necessary, but in point of fact, they can show up some real-world problems that wouldn't be uncovered any other way.
0: Okay, so I'm not entirely sure if you've talked about this before when I was cutting out, so just um, let me know if you did. But I would like to know how do you define the most important parts of the application you were testing? Because, you know, you mentioned before the cost that is involved, and like, how do you figure out what's too much or where is enough?
2: That's a different question. Yeah, I think that that's different for organization to organization. Going black the answer, I would say go with whatever has the biggest visibility and it's the most used. If you have to choose and then go down from there. Assuming that you don't have anything like offensive or broken or but you have to like test, I think that it makes more sense to like focus on core components and highly visible pieces and then trickle down from, from there. Again, doing yeah. as much as you can, but it's like with any other scope to, like quality assurance, right? Test what is the most critical first and then tier two. It it varies.
4: I would like so, to edit- add you say. Would like to add on this. I think uh, what you said is very important. And, uh, and what is a deal breaker? Yes, I think this is very important. And it should be the same, but usually it's below. Is the user experience, which is also exactly what so Joseph uh, saw, So you know, the user experience. So it can be actually something that can be behind the scenes. Content is coming from different sources, Alexa. But you know, what is the user experience? So I think you know, deal breaker and the user experience, which is actually quite related to what Joseph said.
3: I think the answer also can vary according to the market. I worked with a country manager. This may be hard to describe. We had had a product that was producing data and reports. From my perspective, being an engineer, I thought it was important that the data be accurate. And for this country manager and what he, he felt was important in his country. It was actually the the styling of the report and the quality of the way the report looked was more important than the accuracy of the data. It came down to some last minute, you know, we were going through bugs and what we should fix before we hit a, a hard deadline. And I was thinking we should fix the data. And he says, no, if somebody uses this report it represents them and their image they can call out where the data is wrong but it represents them it has to look good and to me it was would have been just the opposite is i think it's about the data and i can tolerate some issues in the styling of the report so some of these things and i I think maybe you have other experiences and i'm sure that's the kind of issue that for some people in the in the audience, they may be going I think one way or the other because it's an emotional reaction. Apparently, I didn't think so at the time. So he, the answer as to what is most important may even vary according to the market. And if you think holistically and think well, this is the answer according to my culture here at headquarters, you may be very surprised that you you'll do well in some markets that agree and for markets that you know culturally have different expectations will be different. So you're asking a very hard question and often people at the headquarters and, and, and managing these projects when they're doing prioritization really need to reach out in country and get you know some other evaluations and, and expectations for what's most important because it's often the case that your expectations can't predict how people will react and they may not be worldwide
2: and leverage whatever data you have. If your application is like tracking data on like usage and you know, again, you have like a big brother, you can tell what modules are like more important in what regions and that might like drive your decisions. I think that more and more people are like making just even development like decisions just based on that. It's like, we thought that this was gonna be like the killer module of our application, but no one gives a damn about this. And we're gonna be focusing on this one because it's like driving so much usage in this and this segment and this and this market.
3: Yeah, that's very important. That's also guiding today how people are using machine translation because they can look at their web pages and, and the flow of users and identify the more heavily used pages and the more heavily used content and make decisions about the need for quality and they want to have information out there for various reasons and pages that are less frequently accessed they might be able to get away with and I won't say machine translation is always lower quality than human translation but if it's more cost effective and they can get away with fewer reviews they might use that kind of data exactly as you're suggesting Jose to make decisions about quality and even the tooling and how content is created if the frequency goes up they might revisit those pages and provide more higher quality translations.
4: I, I want just to simplify a little bit that, I think the, you know, the, your question time is of what's, you know, what is important, what what we should test, you know, what text said just now, this is true for, for the whole globalization, localization, you know, we are localizing and whether well, that is a product for each market, you know, those market that this is good enough and this is market that we need to actually to localize this and it's okay if we don't localize other stuff. So, it's the same for the localization transition process. It's the same also for the QA uh, testing, you know, by each market. So I think that what Jose said, you know, what is visible and what is important and what is a deal breaker might be different in one market than another market. And yes, this is our work to, to decide what we should test. But again, I think that's the main thing is, I think, so the, the visibility and what is the deal breaker and the user experience. that. As you said, things might be different from market to market.
1: So I guess I, I would like to, because we're, we're starting to run low on time here, and we have some questions from the audience. And this one is, it's kind of like shifting gears a little bit. And I think it kind of goes back to what Jose was saying about testers being hard to find. And I, I guess that what the, the audience member is saying is that basically she thinks that there's a lot of turnover among testers. With short contract times, maybe testers that aren't very familiar with the industry or the product. Some issues with testers working for outsource companies like LSPs or, or otherwise that maybe aren't being treated well, or they're not, or their work isn't steady. Or I'm, I'm kind of parsing through it here, but I, I guess the question pretty is, pretty how should people treat the testers, and like, what's the human component here that you need
2: to take care of? I think I think that like, the situation is like a lot of like testers are, like very precarious. It's a lot of like I need you now and I will throw you away very soon. I think that a lot there's like a huge ecosystem of like big companies also like taking advantage of like poor contracting models and subcontracting models so there's definitely I would risk saying that there's like a there is like a labor concern. Uh, there's a, we, we have a big problem. There's a big community of people in that capacity in the US and Europe and in Asia. So it's not, it's not necessarily specific to, to here. So maybe what could we do about it? We can definitely... In your organization, you can care about them. So how are they like, being treated? In most organizations, I think that where you go to work, most people might be like, treated, okay, as human beings, but their contractual relationships are not great. So I think that like those of us that are like hiring those people might be, we need to like evangelize towards like how important this community can be and maybe like focus on the values, like having uh, maybe a reduced, I'm of the opinion that a smaller pool of people, more capable, more happy, more well-trained will yield more in the longer run than the constant churn of people who are just like struggling and not necessarily getting to like know a product or a way of working etc so i think that it's it's important to invest in in those people
4: i agree with you
2: and uh going back to
4: something we discussed earlier if uh, we think about localization and testing create part of the production chain so it's you know the people will be there will be part of it and not just contractors that we need that's what testing that then the them away. I think it's, again, it's a change of the mindset that we need to do, you know, us and the, and the, and the companies. But I that it's a, it's a problem to get those people.
3: I think it depends on the kind of testing you're asking people to do. I think imagining, maybe it's not the case, the scenarios you're talking about where you bring labor, they're running to run scripts, they're not as knowledgeable about your product. They're not doing investigative QA. They're not creating all kinds of test cases. They're being given scripts and told what to do. So it's easy to bring people in and then discharge them at the, the end of the project. If you're going to have a higher level of investigation where people are going to learn your product, generate tests, and do some analysis of problems, then It's a different skill level. And for that, you need to really invest in people. The initial case that I described is probably one that is one where you haven't put automation in place, because a lot of that today can be done through automation of executing your product's functionality, capturing screenshots, and getting some other kind of review. So I wouldn't dismiss the the claim that people are maybe not being treated as well as they should because they're, they're contractors. It's the kind of the nature of being a contractor. But I think you have to think about which problems you're trying to solve. If you want people invested in working for you, helping out your quality assurance tasks, then you do need to invest them and make them, even if they're contract labor, make them a part of the process as opposed to just saying, this is a labor job where you're just going to come in and do what we ask and then leave yeah. when you're done.
2: I think that letting them build relationships is, is critical. If you, you just like go in and out, you never build a relationship with the people who are actually benefiting from your work and they're just like directing you, then it's it's very miserable. Yeah, it's yeah. true for everyone in the world.
0: Very true. Actually, I guess it's a little controversial, the human side of things. but you also mentioned automation, what are the methods that you can use for automating your, your testing?
3: There are several. So you can do keystroke and capture and replay is, is one method and then of course you can build into some kinds of products the ability to drive them through API and software which lets you run through the, the functionality and then capture the behavior in some way. So either screen captures or more elaborate logging of the results so there are some tools that help with that often you need to design in some of the capabilities in your software that makes it easier to run and that's an important step when you're running multiple languages and multiple platforms you want to be able to exercise your products quickly and in an automated fashion.
4: I would like to add something that um, today that More and more software has this accessibility API, which is important. So it's easier for automated uh, tool actually to get to the object and get the string itself where it's there. So if we have an automated test for the regular version, I think that we need to localize the test so we can test the localization.
2: I just want to disclaim that in my experience, like this is something that you need to have, like your. Uh, engineers to highly committed to help you build that. So this is something that can be done, but it's like the tooling to do it is not necessarily, in some cases it's like expensive. And having people who actually know how to work on that and then getting their time to actually support what you want to get out of it, it's tricky. So I think that is not, not possible. It's that a lot of organizations don't get to really implement it because of all of these things, like lack of resources, lack of money, lack of time. Uh, lack of expertise. I just want to like piggyback on that. If you're gonna get it done, automated like that, you know, Daniel mentioned like that application, Riggy, before. So something like a Riggy is going to, Riggy is just like this uh, in-context localization and you can uh, tool, and you can use it to like piggyback on that like automated testing, and then get a screenshots of the product along the way, in a way that then you can link it to your translation tool and see things in context. So out of like the, investment that you can make in something like automated testing, you can get also, like, in-context value for exactly. translation. So that is, that's one of the things that I have used in the past to, like, actually pitch for it. Say, hey, we're going to invest in it all this time, but it's going to solve two things. We're going to test automatically, which is fantastic. We're going to create a uh, screen that's automatically, which is fantastic for the documentation people. And we're going to solve, like, the holy grail of translation, which is giving translators context
3: i completely agree with you so you want to add to that it improves time to market right because if if you're going to do these things manually it can take maybe days or or weeks to run through all the different environments you need whereas it, you know once you automate it it can be an overnight set of results and in the next day you have data to look at and test results and and so forth so But it, it is complicated and it can require getting involved with your IT department to run all sorts of software, virtual operating systems and and so forth. So it can be worth doing because when you're doing QA, it's, it's very repetitive, especially in agile environments. And, uh, you've got multiple platforms and, and languages that you're, that you're working with, but it's not necessarily easy. I want to add to what you said, thanks. You know, usually we said, you know, we have the
4: triangle, with uh, quality, time, and, you know, uh, cost. But basically, if we're doing the tests very fast, we can improve the quality. Because we get the feedback when the developer or the transfer is still working on it, and not just in a completely different team done something, you know, it doesn't get the feedback in four months. You know, you get the feedback tomorrow, yeah. even the same day. So the speed here, if we're doing, if the process will be very quick and very, you know, the speed can actually increase the quality and even reduce the cost of fixing it, because the more you wait, the cost of fixing it just goes up.
2: So again, to piggyback on that and give people like something to like go and test, and I am a big fan of like, this will not automate it, but I like this, like this Jira, which you might know, this tool from Atlassian, it's a string of, uh, of products. There's a component to this that used to be called Capture. Now I think that it's called like Zephyr or something. Basically allows you to like be browsing maybe a web application and at any time press like a shortcut on your keyboard and then take a the screenshot and edit as a, as a tester, like make comments on that screenshot on the fly. And fill in a lot of like information within like a Jira ticket automatically. So you can get information like from the system being passed on to your ticketing system. The the if it's a like translator could be like adding some comments in there, say this needs to be changed to that. And someone else on the other side of Jira can be seeing these things like popping up as part of like their testing sessions in real time. So if you have like someone like monitoring that, they might be able to see what you were just saying, like Danny, like see a problem being detected in real time and be able to act on that before even like all the languages detected or run into it. And just like even like either fix it or at least like send a communication saying, this is expected, you don't need to report it again, skip it. Skip this whole section, skip this whole model. We save you a lot of time and allows you to move like faster and faster and keep a better track of how you got to what conclusion, to what action. Remind it, what you're testing, the same thing, you know, immediately,
4: to change the thing immediately.
3: The, the other thing is, I mean, you, the comments you're making, or both of you are making, are very true. They're specific to, you know, the person who last made the change, getting feedback, but there's also a, a more global project management perspective when you're automating your tests you can also capture results for all of your tests and I'm a big believer in in dashboards and transparency across the organization and having metrics and key performance indicators which can be calculated as a part of the automation so the next morning you come in and your project manager that how many tests were run how many failed which modules maybe are experiencing a spike, and be able to do some forecasting as to how the project is going, when you might get down to zero problems, or where you're seeing performance issues, and and so forth. I wouldn't look at this as just getting immediate feedback to the content creator or the developer. It's certainly useful for that, but also from a project management perspective to see that the overall product functionality how it's growing and giving feedback to teams overall as to when the project might all come together and also to see dependencies because some teams can't work until a team that is up the supply chain or up the pipeline gets to a certain level of functionality and, and everybody can see the progress and i think that's Also useful for the team overall morale and insight into how projects are going when they see the overall progress. So plugging your product test automation into dashboards and and public transparency across the organization is a key factor for keeping
2: teams going correctly. And if you cannot fully automate, go with the Jira thing. It will still get you information like, what languages found what? Who were actually those testers that find a lot of things that end up like being validated as like real issues, as opposed to the ones that were like false positives. That's a metric that you can have. How long do they spend in doing each of the sessions? So you give them like a test case, it's in the same system. They can just like go through it and you can compare the metrics. These languages are having more difficulties. These members are gonna have more difficulties and then make the same decisions that, you, that the text is describing from a semi-automated process, even if if you cannot go fully automated.
3: Yeah, WordBee has some capabilities to demonstrate, to display various KPI that helps the project management as well.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Well- You're
0: not paid by WordBee. No, not at all. No. No, 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 it's
2: super nice. (laughs) We can
0: talk about it. <laughs> like yeah, we try think,
1: to keep these things pretty non-commercial, you know. But uh, <laughs> at least for us, yeah. you know, like we we don't just want to, but we we appreciate that when when text says it. <laughs> yeah, and he's totally
0: right. That it's very true what he's saying. <laughs> but yeah, guys, I think we're gonna interrupt you here. This has been awesome, but we should probably wrap this up. We don't want to keep you any longer and we had a bunch more questions, which we didn't get through, but that's perfectly fine because it was awesome. (laughs) And also thank you to all our listeners who are still here. And thanks to you guys for taking the time today to chat with us.
1: Yeah, thanks everybody. And uh, I'm pretty sure the next time we do one of these, we'll have to do it about the metrics and and KPIs and analytics, like just for testing and QA, that would be really cool. Yeah. Just to focus on that. That sounds good. Good
4: evening, good night, good morning.
1: Whatever.
0: Thanks. Bye, Bye guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the International Bus Podcast, where we talked about software localization quality assurance. If you'd like to attend our panels live next time, you can register on our website, wordp.com.